Hello, and welcome back to Real Talk, UC San Diego's podcast for the Journal of International Policy Solutions. Once again, my name is Alex Wyckoff. I'd like to introduce a new anchor on our show, Emerson Sui. Uh, hey, Emerson. Hi, Alex. Nice to talk to you today. I'm from the track of Master of International Affairs 2022 in the track of China Focus and in International Politics. Today is my first time to come to JPS podcast, and I really cherish this chance. I'm glad to have you here, Emerson, and your expertise with uh, China, and also uh, your wide array of knowledge is going to be very, very good for today's discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, also known as North Korea. And we will be talking about how foreign policy is going to evolve in this new era as we move in the U.S. from a President Trump's priorities to those of the new President Biden. Uh, so to begin with, uh, Emerson, what are some key differences that you uh, most think about between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? as they approach North Korea? Well, firstly, I guess the biggest difference will lie between the diplomatic style of these two leaders. As we can see from since the starting of Hanoi summit, Trump has shown a kind of very aggressive and personal style of diplomacy. And comparing to, and comparing to his former leader, Trump, well, no, I'm sorry, uh, comparing to his former leader, Obama, Trump is more aggressive and more personal in approaching DPRK, especially we can see his words from Twitter, his own me uh, media platforms like the DPRK is going to face the fury and fire from America one if nuclear strike was headed towards the territory of the US. And at the same time, I guess Biden will be more gentle, more more in an Obama way to in approaching DPRK. In short, I think... I think so too. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. It's okay. I think Biden will take up the strategy and the way of traditional diplomacy ways with Kim Jong-un, like having some kind of dialogues, conversations, and also, um, and taking up the, and taking up the strategy of Obama in a way of ignoring. That means that as long as the DPRK hasn't taken too much aggressive strategy, then we just let it go. We, we kind of not be, be, uh, irritated by the small actions done by DPRK, we just let we just let it go. Uh, don't be, don't let our main diplomatic uh, really directions be dis be distracted by small actions of DPRK. This is the differences that I guess are between Trump and Biden. I think so as well. Um, I I agree with you that I do think Joe Biden will follow a lot of Barack Obama's policies. For our listeners who are less familiar with this topic, the Obama administration used a policy called strategic patience, where it approached North Korea primarily with limited diplomacy, the threat of sanctions, and wanted to avoid aggression and military engagement at all costs. You know, Donald Trump was very different. He was willing to meet with Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, whereas Obama 
was not willing to meet with him. Trump was willing to get very aggressive, as we saw on Twitter. And Emerson, you talked about this just now. Fire and fury was what Trump said. And the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, also had a lot of threatening provocations. And I do think Joe Biden is more likely to be like Obama. But I do hope that he'll try something a little bit different because Obama was not successful in stopping North Korea from expanding its nuclear program. And Donald Trump was not successful either. So what are some options, uh, Emerson, do you think, that Joe Biden could take that are different from Obama and different from Trump? Well, in my personal point of view, I, I guess Biden will be tougher, will be, will be get tougher on DPRK's issue, especially on, on human rights, because he's the same as Obama from the from the central and left party of American politics. He, well, except for the conventional diplomatic diplomatic direction, Biden my my sub uh, Biden will take strategies like forcing forcing DPRK to gradually give it it is nuclear trial by economic sanctions, just like just like Obama Obama did. And another thing that I would like to mention is it is nearly zero possibility that Biden will actually will actually conduct a, a military strike toward DPRK because conducting this will just cause a great destruction to both US and its alliance in Asia Pacific, the North Korea and Japan. So I don't think Biden is going to take somewhat aggressive or too radical strategy in approaching DPRK. And as a result, maintaining the status quo, maintaining the current condition will be the most wise choice and strategy for Biden. I agree. And I don't know um, if the status quo is something I like right now, but I do agree that military action is a bad idea. Uh, According to Gallup, 82% of Republicans would like to back that action compared to 37% of Democrats. And uh, among independents, 56% want to back military action against North Korea. So a majority of of the American people do seem to support it. But as you said, it threatens our allies in Japan and South Korea. Uh, It also provokes China as China and North Korea have a unique treaty, the only one of its kind for both countries. China is the only country in the world that will accept uh, trade with North Korea, and they have a very powerful military alliance. So risking war with North Korea is pretty bad uh, for the U.S. Yeah, China is always... The big brother of DPRK, and we have to mention the fact that the only four existing communities and countries in this world are only are just China, Cuba, Vietnam, and DPRK. Therefore, maintaining the common interest of between China and DPRK is one of the most key issues that Chinese diplomacy is seeking is seeking for. Truly, you can explain why China has. Uh, has leading a very ambiguous attitude towards DPRK's nuclear trial since 2017. Actually, in the sex party talks, China China hasn't done actual progress in announcing DPRK to renounce its nuclear trial. So I think this 
So I think this current strategy will maintain as long as she's in his position because, because she is also in the campaign of wolf warriors diplomacy and, and maintaining a kind of hostile attitude towards the U.S. So China will, China will steal that cost, um, casting obstacle in U.S. and DPRK relationships. Because it's very worth noting that always having a neighbor who can cause trouble to your own country. No, uh, I got to change this. Yeah, because always having a neighbor, a little neighbor who can cause troubles to your own rival is always a good thing in conventional dem- diplomacy. I think so too. And you know, you mentioned uh, President、uh, Xi Jinping of China, and. This guy, I think, is very, very strategic, very shrewd. He, through the Belt and Road Initiative and through leveraging China's,、uh, leveraging the debt that other countries owe China, he's been able to increase China's naval power. He's been able to increase China's economic standing in the world, and that makes China a better rival to the U.S. So if North Korea is giving us trouble. That's good for China. Not to mention, a majority of the nuclear weapons in the world belong to NATO allies and the West. While Russia has more nuclear weapons than the U.S. and is an ally of China, in total, you could say the West has more nuclear weapons than、uh, the Eastern Bloc. And so, I think it's in China's interest for North Korea to have nuclear weapons. Just because it increases the number of weapons among communist or pseudo-communist powers. Yeah, it feels like the strategy and the games, the game theory after the Cold War is still still lies there.、Uh, the dark cloud of the dark cloud of war of the、uh, of the Cold War are still flying over Asia Pacific area as 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 the nuclear. Yeah, as long as the nuclear power exists there. Um, the tensions and the threat of war will never be ended. The North Korean leader Kim Jong Un staked out a hardline position, referring to the U.S. as his country's quote biggest enemy, and he vowed to advance the DPRK's nuclear arsenal. And I think this is a challenge for Joe Biden. It is true that. Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un had a decent relationship. Donald Trump was the first American president in a very long time willing to meet with a North Korean leader. Obama was never willing to give Kim Jong Un that chance, and I doubt Joe Biden will be willing to give him that chance either, because they feel it offers North Korea legitimacy on the world stage, and given its gross human rights violations, they. Barack Obama and now Joe Biden don't want to legitimize them, so I think North Korea wanted a second Trump term because that relationship is better, and I think Kim Jong Un feels more threatened now that Joe Biden is going to take office. But on the other hand, as we just talked about, Joe Biden, if he employs Obama's playbook, will not be able to stop North Korea. So I'm really wondering. How is the relationship between these two countries going to change? Maybe do you think Emerson that there is a possibility that 
maybe Joe Biden does meet with Kim Jong-un in the next four years because he has no other options. Yes, from my personal point of view, Joe Biden, it is more wise for Joe Biden to meet Kim Jong personally or officially in his new coming four years because, as as we have seen from the state and core, the D, the, D, the DPRK hasn't renowned hasn't stopped it is nuclear trial in reality and there's no new chances for and there's no new chances for these two leaders to come to an actual agreement on how to how when and how many nuclear trials should be should be constrained in the in the new agreement so i think biden should uh, i think it is more wiser for biden to meet kim jong in an official meeting like what they have done before in 2019, like the Hanoi summit, they have, uh, it's better for them to have conversations, dialogues like this in the, in this coming for new, uh, four years because there's no actual progress that can be obtained without a formal diplomatic conversation in official site. Yeah, this is what I consider that Biden should do. And this is what Kim Jong should do. Since uh, a better dialogue will always create some some kind of resolution to a problem, even though some even though the manifesto is too weak or too pure, but nothing can be done without a conversation. Yes, even though this conversation sometimes cannot lead to a good result. Exactly, Uh, Donald Trump's summit with Kim Jong Un in Hanoi earlier in 2020, fell apart, I remember. Uh, They weren't able to walk away with any kind of deal. They just gave up on it. But even despite that, Kim Jong-un says that he and Trump had a very good relationship, which indicates that one failed summit isn't enough to hurt that. I think it would be a good option for Joe Biden to meet with Kim Jong-un. While it does legitimize North Korea a little bit and... We don't want to legitimize a country with such human rights violations. I think the only way to get any progress on keeping their nuclear arsenal low and weak is by meeting with them. The only way is to negotiate. And just as importantly, I'll admit, the U.S. may not have as severe human rights violations as North Korea, but I would argue we may not be the country to to talk. We do have a lot of human rights violations here in the U.S., and some of them, especially under the Trump administration, were very troubling. And what this indicates is, by always trying to have this moral high ground, I think we lose reputation in the world stage, and I think it makes it more difficult for our diplomats to do their jobs. Yeah, but generally, I agree with I definitely agree with your point, Alex. Because, yeah, when giving a chance being recognized as a formal country in the world, DPRK is more likely to participate in the world affairs as a normal normalized country. You can refer to the examples after World War uh, after World War Second, uh, like recognizing like like recognizing Germany and Japan as part of the the normal countries in in this world. Yeah, I think that accepting DPRK and treating and treating this country as a normal, a normal and legitimized one will be will serve as a better initiation of starting a normal talk 
about uh, the nuclear pro the nuclear process. Yeah, so I think the conversation will serve as a necessary part in starting the uh, the denuclearization of Korean Peninsula. And I do think here in the U.S., if we legitimize North Korea more, now I'm not 100% certain about that idea, but if we do legitimize them, there is a possibility of economic development in that country that helps its people, which are the DPRK's people are grossly undernourished. They live very difficult lives, and I think maybe some legitimacy on the world stage might help their economic prospects. And if we negotiate well enough, perhaps we'll develop a more transparent relationship with North Korea. And I think a lot of a lot of the problem now is we don't know exactly what's going on in there all the time. We only really know what they tell us. So if we could be more transparent, maybe there would be less to fear. Yeah, and a better diplomatic relations should be built on a more open and tolerant um, region of DPRK. And uh, in order to reach this, the, the international aid and economic sanction release should serve as the premises. Yeah, serving the needs of people will be will serve as the block to help re, um, cultivate dem- democracy there. And if the DPRK could become more democratic country, then the denuclearization process will be more easier and faster to reach. Yeah, I do think exactly North Korean exposure to other countries more regularly, even if they are a powerful communist dictatorship now, 10, 20, 30 years in the future, they could become more democratic. They could become more capitalistic as well. We saw something like this happen in China, in fact. Uh, China became more capitalistic over recent decades, realizing the need for a stronger market. This could be the same for North Korea. Though, that said, one option Biden does have, if he wants to continue the Obama playbook, is he could continue the sanctions. North Korea is in a difficult spot right now. They took three economic body blows this year, not just COVID-19, but flood damage in the summer, and the sanctions have continued to be very severe. There's been a very sharp decline in their economic activity, and there has been no diplomatic activity this year to speak of, or most of last year, 2020, either. So North Korea is in a very difficult position right now, and That is something that Joe Biden might want to continue. Is that the right decision? I'm not sure. Yeah, this is what happened to DPRK this year. This country is suffering and struggling with COVID-19 and the other natural disasters this summer. And we can see that Kim Jong-un really displays himself in front front of people and in public. And another, and he said that his sister, Kim Yong-ju, is going to take his power in Taking up this country, and which is which is no longer a guess because some because some analysts say that uh, the health condition of Kim Jong is getting worse. So, uh, so this is leads to so this leads to another possibility that Kim might pass away in in 
several years, but this is only a guess. So another, and I think there's another great news this year. Claim that King has announced don't、uh, not to continue development of nuclear power as long as his country was no longer under threatened. And I think yeah, I agree with you, Alex. I think this is a great year for both parties to conduct new diplomatic relationship and back into the negotiation table. I think this creates great a great chance. And as long as the DPRK hasn't cast a nuclear bomb towards the U.S. territory, I think Biden, I think the Biden office could be more gentle and and release some host a、uh, hostility position, letting DPRK to get get recovered in his economy. I think it's a very good option for North Korea.、Uh, Kim Jong Un vowing not to use nuclear weapons unless their sovereignty is threatened is good because. If we're realistic, nuclear weapons give Korea give North Korea a lot of bargaining power. But if it came to war, realistically, the DPRK would be annihilated, and that's not something Kim Jong Un or his government want. And so, maintaining peace is beneficial for all sides. Though that said, I want to、um, circle back to something you said a second ago, Emerson. You mentioned Kim Jong Un's health. I don't actually know that much about it.、Uh, could you elaborate and explain for our listeners what you're talking about with Kim Jong Un's health? Well,、um, this news is from this news was from the last year.、Uh, yeah, this is kind of、uh, this is kind of some unofficial news, but there is but there is some evidence concerning about this. I haven't. I can't make sure whether. Whether the American media has reported this, but I do remember in Trans Mainland and in and in KBS,、uh, a Korean podcast company, they have reported the following the following news. Uh, with a group of, a group of a group of former DPRK citizens has fled from this country, and when they and and when they reach the and when they reach the territory of North Korea, they tend to they tend to fly up some. Propagandas,、uh, insulting the DPRK territory, regard re, describing this as evil and tyranny, ty- tyranny raging in this world. What is different from the previous news incident is that the content, the content of propaganda, has been、uh, has added some pom of pomgraph.、Uh, yeah, the content of the pro- pro- propaganda. Has added some、uh, porn- pornography of King's wife Lee, Shia Julie, and with for a normal person, encountering co- things like this is、uh, is intolerant. However, King himself didn't say anything in public to fight back the words and humiliation like this. It's weird that it is his sister, King Yongju, that announced. Fires words in in public in media's playing list with with threat, and next day, if I don't remember the wrong information, next day after listening from uh next day after this humiliation news in DPRK, the the office, the the liaison office between DPRK and Republic of Korea has been bombed in yeah in the afternoon. 
So from this from this from this incident, what we can can draw is that since King said nothing about this incident, instead of it is his sister to step, uh, to step to step outside to fight against her her sister-in-law. We can tell some we can tell we can tell some suggestions that King's health is in a kind of degrading condition. Yeah, I looked it up while you were explaining, and from what I can see. Kim Jong Un has been known to have health issues as early as 2014,、uh, and I do remember he disappeared from public eye for over a month in 2014. I remember seeing that on the news,、uh, and I also remember, you know, I was a I was a kid back then, but in 2008, I remember that his father, Kim Jong Il, missed a very big parade and. It was later revealed that Kim Jong Il had had a stroke, and this seems to be the pattern of how North Korea deals with sickness in their leaders. Is their leaders will just disappear, and North Korea generally will not say anything about it. Yes, and sometimes they like to cover some cover some secret news about assassination, saying something some stuff like this, and、um, some and、uh, another more. Hilarious facts is that King is like King will always hide his personal toilet every time he when he has foreign official travels. Yeah, the inner the inner content of of his own of his own waste is also a secret in yeah in 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 his office times because he because he is not willing to let people know how his health condition is and this is kind of traditional in communism countries. Yeah, exactly. And something interesting, I think, is、uh, Kim Jong Un. No matter what, is unlikely to let most of the world know how he's doing. I remember、uh, early in his tenure as the North Korean leader, a lot of folks thought his aunt、uh, Kim Kyung Hui and her husband、uh, Jang Song Tae were trusted advisors, and people thought these two were the real decision makers, but. In 2013, Kim Jong Un had his uncle executed and his uncle's inner circle executed in order to solidify his leadership. And I think this is the kind of life Kim Jong Un has led for his whole life, which is one of being paranoid about being assassinated, one about securing his own power in his country. And so I think that's probably something he's concerned about right now as well. And we know that. Part of it is satisfying his military. He has conducted more nuclear tests than his father and his grandfather combined. Yeah, and this is why King joined so crazy about developing his own nuclear nuclear trials. Yeah, securing the national power and at the same time to make to make sure his、uh, his power was always in his hand. This is what the nuclear power could bring to. He, to him personally and to his country, adding his bargaining power in negotiation in negotiation table. If he were to die, what might happen? As we know, his children, we don't know the ages or genders of his children, but we do know that he might have three children. We know they were conceived sometime after he got married, and that means his children are not adults, not even close. They would not be ready to succeed him, 
uh, nor would either of his siblings. So the question is, who would replace Kim Jong-un if, it, if his health fails him? Yeah, this is a great and worth noting question. According to some analysis of of, D, of DPRK and North Korea, uh, and Republic of Korea, I guess this is his sister Kim Yong-ju that will that that is going to step into King's King's office hours because after now it seems that Kim Yong-ju is leading every uh, is is leading and getting every affairs done by her by her own since since the last year yeah since two thousand since the summer of twenty twenty. Because yeah, his sister is going to, is likely is more likely to be the next leader of DPRK. That would be interesting, though. The DPRK has never had a female leader. That would be very interesting if that happened. Yeah, and and things that uh, the human rights condition of DPRK will be to some degree improved if a female leader has officially came to the power. And adding another point to for DPRK to be normalized again. If this happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, I'd like to bring up one last thing that North Korea is doing, which may be a consideration for a President Biden. And this is the DPRK's 80-day battle, a political terminology used by their party, the Communist Party, to describe the process of reaching omnidirectional development in their economic sector, in their military sector, and it's in preparation for yet another milestone, the Eighth Party Congress, uh, which is their highest decision-making body as of January 2021. Yeah, and this is the same story we have in China because... The 2021 will be the 100 years of the ceremony of Chinese Communism Party. In this year, I guess there will be a more diplomatic relate uh, cooperation between DPRK and China because, or uh, because two of them has, uh, because two of them all belong to the only left four communism countries in this world. And there will be another thing that we can look forward to. Uh, with China, I think the with with the stepping of China. I think the denuclearization process of DPRK will be uh, more obstacle. So we are out of time. Thank you again to Emerson for joining me on today's podcast to talk about the DPRK. Thank you to any listeners who are listening to Real Talk right now. Once again, I am Alex Wyckoff. And I'm Emerson Sweet. Thank you for you know, to listen to this podcast today. 